morning, everyone. How are we? Good, good. Hey, can we thank the worship team this morning for preparing that for us? Week after week, they worked so hard, and I'm just so grateful for them. And was really, really thought that was a really sweet time together, worshiping God. Um, for those of you that are new or visiting, my name's Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Arbor. It is so good to be with all of you on this Sunday morning. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and get those out, whether it's your phone or a hard copy, and turn to Acts 13. We're going to be there in just a moment. Um, we are in the final week of our three-week series on this spiritual practice of fasting. And we're in the middle of this series right now because um, we as a church, we want to be more faithful followers of Jesus. We want to be with him. We want to become like him. We want to do what Jesus did. And one of the things that he did was he, he fasted. It's one of the things that we see throughout Jesus' life. In the first week of this series, what we did was we answered the question, what is fasting? And so what is fasting? And, and here's how we've been defining it for the last few weeks. Fasting is the practice of not eating food for a period of time in order to feast upon and focus on the Lord. And then last week, we started to dig into the why of fasting. Why do followers of Jesus fast? And we saw that one reason why we fast is followers of Jesus fast to fight the flesh. That's one reason why we fast. What we saw last week is we dove into Galatians 5, and we have to remember here that we are these like hybrid creatures. Remember, we are body and soul. But, but amidst that, what Paul wrote about in Galatians 5 is that there is this part of us, this old force in us called the, the flesh. It's the part of us driven by instant gratification. It's the part of us driven by the pleasure principle. And the call of every follower of Christ is not to give in to these stronger desires that we feel deep inside of us, but instead to crucify the flesh, to fight the flesh, and in turn, feast upon the Lord and allow the power of the Holy Spirit to take those strong desires and transform them so that our deeper desires to connect to the Lord and follow after Jesus become our strongest desires day after day, slowly but surely, through this practice of fasting. And, and one of those deeper desires, one of those deeper desires that I think many of us walk into this room with today is a deep desire to connect in a really meaningful, powerful way with our God to have a vibrant, life-giving relationship with the creator of the universe. We long for this. We, we, we long to have a sense that as we are going through our days, our regular everyday lives that can feel so mundane, we long to feel God's presence with us. Uh, when we sit down with him, to spend time with him, if that's something that you do, uh, we long to, to know that he's there. And we long to hear his voice and we long to speak to him and know that he's listening. But let me ask some of you this question. Do you ever feel like, like God's just not there? Do you ever feel like there's this like barrier between you and God and you wonder sometimes, like did I set that barrier up or, or, or is that on God's side? Am I the only person who ever feels that? Is that just me? You know, maybe, maybe, maybe you, you, you sit down to pray and, and you know to set aside distractions and to put your phone away and, and to put all of that off to the side. But when you take that moment to just be with the Lord, you know, the unfortunate thing about being a human being is there's no off switch for our brains, right? 
and they just have all of these distractions and we're thinking about our days and our worries and our concerns and we just can't focus. Or maybe you get up in the morning to pray and you just, you, you wake up not well rested and, and you're groggy and your mind's foggy and you just can't focus. Or maybe it's neither of those things. Maybe you wake up and you are awake and you are alert and then you are praying and you, you feel and sense like the things that you are praying are in line with God's will, but as you pray, it just feels like they're falling on deaf ears and no one's there answering you. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah? And so the question is, is there a practice from the life of Jesus that can help us with this feeling of spiritual stagnation? With, with this feeling like there's this, this blockage in our relationship with God? And the obvious answer to that question is yes, and per our conversation today, it's fasting. We're still talking about fasting, all right? And so hear this, another reason why we fast. Followers of Jesus fast to focus on the Lord. Simply put, that's why we fast, is to focus on the Lord. And so uh, if you have your Bibles open, uh, go ahead and look to Acts 13. If you don't have one, you can follow along on the screen. It says this. Now there were these prophets and teachers in the church at Antioch, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menaean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch from childhood, and Saul, while they were serving the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted and prayed and then placed their hands on them, they sent them off. And so the first thing I just want us to notice real, real, real simply here is this word pairing of, of fasting and praying. And if you've been going to church for any length of time, if you've been following Jesus for a while, no doubt you've heard these two words put together, fasting and praying. We see them used throughout the scriptures, cover to cover, fasting and praying. And while you can certainly fast without praying, and you can pray without fasting, it seems like when you like put these two things together, something special happens, something interesting happens. And why is that the case? Why is that the case? Well, well, probably because fasting, according to the scriptures, is a way that we as humans pray with our bodies, okay? Scott McKnight, a New Testament theologian, he says, he calls this body talk, body talk. And it's similar to what some of us do in this room when we worship. So some of us, when we sing, you know, when we sing songs of worship, we are praying to God collectively as a group of people. And some of us, you may have noticed, we raise our hands in worship. You're like, yeah, I've noticed that. That's kind of weird. Why do you do that? Well, we do that because that's a way of praying with our bodies. And fasting is similar. Fasting, in other words, is a way to use our bodies to more fully express our desire and our hunger for God. When I talk about hunger here, I'm not talking about hunger for food. I'm talking about hunger that's satisfied only as we focus upon the Lord. Fasting is a way we express this desire that we have within us to connect with God, to have our hunger satisfied by God. And listen, this seems to be something that God himself longs to see from his children. We see it in Jeremiah 29. This is God speaking here. He says this, when you call out to me and come to me in prayer, I will hear your prayers. When you seek me in prayer and worship, you will find me available to you. Now listen to this. If you seek me with all your heart and all your soul, I will make myself available to you, says the Lord. 
And so it seems like because, listen, our God is a relational God. He is not some sort of far off, distant, aloof God, not paying attention, not caring. He is a father who longs to connect with his children. He desires to be connected and he desires to be sought. He desires to be sought with all of our hearts and all of our soul and our bodies and w- as well. And so fasting is a way that we can do that. It's a way that we can express to God our deep hunger for him holistically with our entire being, our bodies and our souls. And God longs for this. He wants to see us pursue him with all of our hearts and all of our souls. Arthur Wallace in his book, God's Chosen Fast, writes this. How often have we made earnest prayer to God for some specific need with the assurance that this was in the will of God And yet there's been no assurance from heaven. It could well be and often is that God is saying to us, when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. Jeremiah 29, 13. When a man is willing to set aside the legitimate appetites of the body to concentrate uh, on the work of praying, he is demonstrating that he means business, that he is seeking with all his heart, and he will not let go unless he answers. So what God longs for. And I want to be clear real quick that like when we choose to fast, to pursue God and seek after God, to connect with God, fasting is not some sort of voluntary hunger strike that like gets God's attention and like compels God or, or even worse manipulates God to hear our prayers and answer them the way he wants, the way we, we want him to. That's not what fasting is. But we do see here in the scriptures that fasting is a way where we can holistically express this deep desire and this deep longing for God through fasting and prayer. Now prayer, prayer is probably a pretty familiar term to many of us. And and prayer though, it's also a pretty broad term as well. Uh, Many of you were with us in our last trimester in our Discipleship Basics group and we did a deep dive on prayer and we saw that prayer can be a variety of things. Prayer can be um, talking with God. Prayer can be talking to God. It can be listening to God. And and maybe most simply, but also most profoundly, prayer can just be being with God. And so what I want to do right now is I just want to flesh out a few different types of prayer for which fasting seems to be this natural companion for. And so if you're taking notes, I've got four of them for you. Here's the first one. Fasting to repent. Fasting to repent. Now, I know that this word repent is not a very popular term in our world and our culture right now, but I think it's so important that we recapture uh, the essence of repentance in our lives and in our church because so much beauty and goodness and, 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 and joy flow from deep, real, meaningful repentance. Now, Scripture is full of examples of people fasting and and combining it with repentance before God. And probably one of the most profound examples is found in Leviticus 23 at, at Yom Kippur, which in English means the day of atonement. And it says this, the Lord said to Moses, the 10th day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves, and this is more literally afflict yourself, and present a food offering to the Lord. 
Uh, Now, that word that we read there, deny or afflict, is simply just a synonym in the Hebrew for the word fasting. Some of you are like, man, you lost me with that word afflict, okay? I'm I'm good, I'm out. I I don't want to go that direction. But listen, before you throw all of this out as some sort of ancient form of of masochism, just like quickly in your mind, like do a survey of of, of the the, the minimal space that our current world holds uh, for, for confession of sin and for repentance of sin. Just think about that. Think about how, how minimized that is in our world today and think about then the resultant guilt and, and anxiety and shame that, that we carry around in the back of our minds and how that leads to toxic and destructive behaviors. I mean, even in our church today, especially Protestant churches, we hold such little space for the confession of our sin, for the repentance of our sin. Such little space, you know, maybe what we do is we say like a quick prayer to God when we know we've stepped out of line, when we know we've sinned in some way and we say, God, I'm sorry, I won't do that again, I'll try to be better, we move on, we put that behind us and then we just repeat this cycle. We repeat this cycle over and over and over again, ad nauseum and so, and so often, so often because of this, we live with this sense of guilt and shame and fear and anxiety. And listen, none of that is from God. None of that's from God. And so the point is this. Fasting is just a way, it's, it's, it's a way to repent well, to repent of our sin well, not out of some sense of masochism or even penance, but to sincerely apologize for where we've gone astray in life, to repent well and then to move on in freedom to stop in the midst of our busy and distracted lives and to take a day, to take hours, to feel the full weight of our sin and then to feel Jesus remove that from our souls and our bodies and to feel that freedom. Again, Scott McKnight, writing about this passage, the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 23, he says this, the Israelites were told to make their life uncomfortable for an entire day in order to bring their entire person into harmony with the gravity of sin and the need to turn from sin toward God. At the very core of fasting is empathy with the divine or participation in God's perception of a sacred moment. And so listen, God perceives what's going on in our world and he is moved by what is happening. Like like when God sees sin, he is grieved. And so one point of fasting is is to, as, as McKnight said, bring our entire person into harmony with the gravity of sin and the need to turn from that sin to God. That's, that's what repentance is. And so in this sentence, listen, fasting is not a feel-good practice. It's not. It, it, it's not like the, the uh, opposite counter practice of feasting, which I'm sure if I was teaching on feasting, we'd all be like, hey, why don't we do that? It, it's, it's entirely different, but listen, it is a practice that through the power of God's spirit can aid in breaking down that barrier that we might feel between us and God and can tune ourselves into what God is seeing and what God is feeling about a particular event in our lives that we're going through or, or maybe something that our community or our world is going through. And that brings me to the second point here, the second kind of prayer that fasting seems to be a good companion for, and that is fasting to grieve. 
Fasting to grieve, and some of you right now are probably like, Ryan, okay, so fasting to repent, fasting to, this this is a real pick-me-up sermon this Sunday morning. I'm so glad I came to church today. And you're right, it is not so far. I get that. I totally understand that. But listen, we have to dispel with the notion that following Jesus is always this bed of roses that leads to like happiness and lightness and joy and peace. Newsflash, life is hard. Life is hard, y'all, and, and we, we make mistakes and make it harder, and, and tragedy comes into our life, crises come into our life, and, and it makes it even more difficult and painful, and the potential benefit of something like fasting is that through ongoing practice and discipline of this spiritual practice, with the power of spirit, it can help align our entire selves, body and soul, with the heart and mind of God, so, so, so that our, our faith isn't shipwrecked because of misplaced expectations, and we more deeply and rightly understand God's God's movement in our lives and in our world. There are going to be times in our lives where we need to grieve. There are going to be times in our lives where we need to mourn, and the wisdom of the ancient scriptures say that one way we can process that grief and mourn rightfully is through fasting. Look at Nehemiah chapter 1. Many of you will remember that we were here just a few months ago in September, It says this, Hanani, who was one of my relatives, along with some of the men from Judah, came to me and I asked them about the Jews who had escaped and had survived the exile and about Jerusalem. And they said to me, listen, the remnant that remains from the exile there in the province are experiencing considerable adversity and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem lies breached and its gates have been burned down. And this is awful news for Nehemiah here. And all of us have received terrible news, yeah? Whether it's like a text message or phone call and we just got this terrible news. And so this is what's happening to him. But look at his response. When I heard these things, I sat down abruptly crying and mourning for several days. I continued what? Fasting and praying before the God of heaven. That's Nehemiah's response. How different is his response than our typical response to, 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 to suffering and to trial and to hardship. I mean, just think about it. How do we typically respond when something bad happens in our world? Bad happens in our community to a friend. Maybe they lose a job. Maybe they get a bad diagnosis. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe they have a relationship that's on the rocks. What do we typically do when that happens? We're like, hey, wanna go grab something to eat? Can, can I bring you something? Can I bring you a casserole? Order you DoorDash, Uber Eats, whatever it is. That's how we typically respond with food. But what does your body body typically do when when it encounters trial and hardship? More often than not, we we lose our appetites. We, we, We lose our hunger, our desire for food, and perhaps maybe in that moment, our body is trying to tell us something. Again, McKnight writes this. Body grief is perhaps one of the purest examples of what fasting is all about. A human being overwhelmed by the sacredness of a moment chooses not to eat in order to sanctify his or her communion with God and participate fully in one of life's grievous moments. Fasting is a way of processing grief with God in our bodies and in our souls with our entire person. And I'll just say this from personal experience. Um, This sort of confronting mourning and grief and loss, 
will not come naturally to many of us. It does not come naturally to me. In fact, I find it extremely difficult. I find it extremely difficult and very painful. I've shared this with many of you before, uh, but, but two and a half years ago, my wife Carrie and I, we went through a really painful season at a former church of ours. And, and after that season, I had a, a, f- a new friend of mine point me to like a series of books uh, called The Emotionally Healthy Blank. And so one of them was The Emotionally Healthy Relationships. How many of you remember that series from last spring that we went through? There's another book I went through called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And one of the markers of an emotionally healthy spirituality in a person is grieving well. It's grieving, in the author's words, enlarging our souls through grief. And so for the past two and, a year, two and a half years, I have been in this long, slow battle uh, with grief uh, over, over what we lost and over what happened in our lives during that season. In fact, Carrie and I were on a walk a few months ago, a couple months ago. We have this trail behind our house. We're on this walk, and I just told Carrie, I was like, hey, I don't think I've fully processed the grief over what we lost back in Michigan. And she just turned to me, and she was like, yeah, I know, I can tell. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, well, I guess it's obvious. And so, so, so what I've been doing for these, these last few months as I've been practicing fasting the best I can, much of my personal focus has been on confronting that loss and grieving and mourning over that loss. And I will tell you, I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. It's, it's the worst. It is the absolute worst. But let me also share this with all of you, slowly but surely over time, what I can sense God's spirit doing in my own heart um, is, is that the parts of me that I shut down, the parts of me that I closed off as a result of that pain, he has been opening back up and he has been healing and he has been restoring slowly but surely. You ever go through a season where you feel like, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like myself again. Do you ever feel like that? I, I, I just sense that God is working in that way in my life and, and so, so I would just give to you, just ask you, what if, what if in the face of your grief, in the face of your loss and hardship, instead of covering those negative emotions up that you feel with distractions like work or entertainment or in our case, food, and and what if you confronted that grief and that loss head on? What if you fasted and prayed and grieved over that hardship in the midst of a personal crisis In the midst of a national crisis, what if instead of growing worried and fretful and anxious and angry as we so often get, and instead we chose to mourn and weep and fast and pray like Nehemiah, like Jesus? Okay, let's keep going. I've got two more. Here's the third type of prayer that seems to be a natural companion for fasting. Fasting to know God's mind, okay? This one isn't so much of a bummer, okay? You can shake that off a little bit now, all right? Fasting to know God's mind, to know and discern his will regarding a decision, a major decision that we might have to make in our lives. Maybe we're at a crossroads in our lives and we're trying to understand God's will in a, manner, in, in, in a matter in our lives. Fasting, fasting seems to be a great way to clarify and to sharpen our mind to better hear the voice of God in our lives. And again, we read it earlier, but Acts chapter 13 is like the classic example of this. I'll just read the first part again real quick. While they were serving the Lord and what? Fasting. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
And so these early followers of Jesus, uh, what were they doing? They were, they were gathered together, they were, they were serving him, they were worshiping, and they were fasting. And it was in this state that they were most able to hear the voice of God and the direction of spe- the Spirit in regards to this fresh and new movement of God in the world. And so there just seems to be something about fasting where while we are initially fasting, for those of you who practiced it maybe for the first time ever or the first time in a long time this past week, there is a season of fasting where like you're just tired and you're grumpy and you're frustrated and you're like, when am I gonna eat next? It seems that as we practice this spiritual discipline, it, it, it comes with this greater clarity and this ability to hear God's voice more clearly. Now, I'm not a scientist or anything. Again, newsflash, right? Like, and I don't profess to like, be like, an expert in science, but it seems like science is confirming some of these things that we already know. There's this medical article uh, recently back in 2015. It says this. The behavioral responses to fasting are associated with increased synaptic plasticity. Cool. Um, an increased production of new neurons from neural stem cells. I need new neurons. That sounds good, right? It also increases a level of brain hormone called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF. We all know BDNF, right? (laughs) A deficiency of which has been implicated in depression and various other brain problems. And so again, it appears that, that while you fast, something happens not just in our souls, but in our bodies as well, so that we are more open and able to hear God's voice in our lives. And so again, what if, you know, you have a major decision up in front of you, you're at a crossroads in life, you're faced with a decision and you're wanting to know God's will. What if before you got the piece of paper out and you put the pros on one side and the cons on the other, What if before you went to family members and friends for wisdom and counsel? And listen, all of that is good stuff. You should do all of that stuff. But what if you first stopped and fasted and prayed and sought God's will and his direction on the matter in your life? What if you did that first? Okay, last one. And this one's gonna sound a little like provocative and controversial, but just stick with me here at the end. Um, Another companion for fasting is this. Fasting to change God's mind. Fasting to change God's mind. Now, I don't have time to nuance all of this out, and hopefully we can dive deeper into this in the future. And I've already taught on this before, this idea that our God is not some far-off God who cannot be moved, but we are in this dynamic, real, authentic, mysterious relationship with God where, where he authentically interacts with us and responds to us. You know, we, we, we've, I've taught about prayer previously and, and taught that like when we pray, when we earnestly pray and seek God, sometimes things happen that wouldn't have happened if we didn't pray. And when we don't pray, certain things don't happen. Again, we, I think we see this throughout the scriptures, and I'll just give one example here in Joel 2. It says this, yet even now the Lord says return. And this Hebrew word for return is the word naham, uh, which can be translated as uh, to change one's mind. God says, return to me with all your heart with, what's the word again there? Fasting, weeping, and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your garments. Would this be an internal thing? Return, that's that word Naham again, to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and boundless in loyal love, often relenting. And that word there in the Hebrew again is the word Naham. God nahams here, he relents, he changes his mind regarding what? Calamitous punishment 
Who knows, Joel writes, perhaps he will be compassionate and grant a reprieve and leave blessing in his wake, a meal offering and a drink offering for you to offer the Lord your God. And so hear this, we, we have no idea how the mind of God works. It is a mystery beyond our understanding. But what appears to be laid out in this instance throughout the scriptures, I can think of the story of Jonah as another major example of this happening. It seems as if God's activity in our lives is not entirely predetermined on some course that can't change, but we are in this dynamic, real relationship with God who authentically responds to us. Again, Arthur Wallace writes this. He explains this pattern this way and says, because man repents in respect to sin, God repents in respect to judgment. Man's change of heart makes it morally possible for God to behave differently towards him yet acting consistently with his holy character and principles. And when we pray to God and we seek God with all of our hearts, I think so often many of us, we either say this explicitly or this is implicit in our prayers when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, not my will but yours be done. You know this prayer? And we pray this at the end of our prayer sometimes or it's, it's, it's our disposition. And listen, I think that's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. I think it's a right thing for the follower of Jesus to, to, to be in this spirit of surrender before God and in prayer. But, but, but the problem with just remaining there or putting all of our eggs in that basket is that's not the entire prayer. That's not the entire prayer. This is the night before Jesus was to go to the cross and, and there's, a, there's a first half of the prayer which says this. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. I don't think Jesus would have prayed that prayer if he didn't think it was possible. And so here we have Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was to go to the cross. And if I think of the things that Jesus was supposed to accomplish here on earth as he was with us, like going to the cross would be like bullet point number one. And yet Jesus is like, if there is any other way, Father, please, 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 would you make it so? And so hear this, while we certainly should have this heart of surrender to God in our prayers, it, it appears as if there is a space for wrestling with God in our prayers. There's a space and time for us to boldly approach the throne of grace and go before God and in a sense ask him to change the situation, ask him to change his mind as to what's happening in our lives right now. And we have to be comfortable living in this tension of both wrestling with God and resting in surrender. There is a place and time for both. And so right now, as, as we turn our attention, our hearts, and our minds to communion, to the table, and as we prepare ourselves to reflect on and to remember Jesus' sacrifice and his surrender for us in our place, would we also take with us the things that we've heard this morning, that we as the people of God fast to focus on the Lord and we fast to repent, we fast to grieve, we fast to know God's mind and we fast to change God's mind. And in a room with this many people, I have no doubt that we find ourselves in many different places. And it's gonna serve some of us really well over these next few minutes to humble ourselves before the cross and to feel the weight of our sin 
and repent of that sin and bring that before God, confess that to God and feel God as he lifts that sin from us and grants us freedom and forgiveness and life and joy. For others of us here today, we are facing enormous loss, we are facing hardship, we are facing trial, and maybe we have pushed that grief off for the last few days, weeks, months, maybe years. Would we use this time before the Lord to bring that grief before him and just say, God, this hurts. God, this stings. This pain has been too much to bear, and would we boldly go before him? And listen, we have a great high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. He knows what it's like to be tempted and to hurt and to suffer. We use this opportunity to bring that before him. For others of us, we just find ourselves wondering and and wandering and wrestling with God. And so would we use these next few moments in the quietness of our hearts to to approach God with those things, with, with where we're at in this moment. You see, this room, I don't want this room to be a place where we leave our cares outside the door and then come in and ignore what's going on in real life. I want this to be a place where we bring the heaviness, we bring the struggle, we bring the weight into the room with us, but we don't hold on to it, but would we lay it before God, would we bring it before him, and would we trust that he sees it, that he knows it, that he cares, and that he will do something about it? So the band's gonna come up in just a moment, and and before you stand up to sing, before you go get the elements, would we just take a few moments in the quietness of our own hearts to approach God? Father in heaven, we want to give this time to you and we ask, Lord, that you would use it powerfully in our lives. Lord, we are are in desperate need to encounter you. And, And God, I pray that in this moment we would. Lord, that we would be able to confess our sins boldly, knowing that you forgive us our sins. Lord, that we would be able to grieve over loss, over pain, over hurt, and not neglect it, and not ignore it, and not distract ourselves from it, but would we, would we bring it before you and experience the healing that your spirit provides in our lives? And God, for those of us that are confused, we're wandering, we need direction, God, Lord, would we, would we take this time in the midst of our busy and distracted lives, would we take this time to come before you and ask for your direction? Ask for your your leading, your prompting, your comfort, Lord. We know that you're here. You are present right now in this moment and that you are with us. Move, God, we ask.